is my request You don't have to play it But I hope you'll do your best I've been listening to your show on the radio And you seem like a friend to me Howdy hi, Victoria Stand the man Hello Oh, don't get up, it's only me Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420-3XY. How are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six. 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3DE, the breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420-3XY. Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 30 minutes or so where we talk to the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. This week, we speak with the boy from the bush who found his way to the top of the ratings at breakfast in Melbourne and on our television screens with some significant national exposure. What a way to start your day. Indeed, here he is, Gavin Wood. Welcome to Pilots, and thanks for joining us. Paul, it's my pleasure. Now, Gavin, when they make that inevitable telly movie, I dare say the title will be something like From Roma, Queensland to West Hollywood, California, and anywhere in between. It's been quite a journey. Firstly, tell us a little about those formative years growing up in Roma. Oh, Forzadar, Roma. That was my inspiration. I loved growing up in the bush. I, I, I was there till I was 14. But uh, there was a guy, a new announcer there called Graham Slennett, who ended up being Graham Roberts, your old mate Robbo on 2SM, who uh, became a, a dear friend because he married my friend in Roma, uh, Diane. And uh, so we've been mates from way back then. But uh, I think my early influences is when I rang 4ZR for a request when I was a boy. And I'll never forget it. I... I uh, I requested The Night Has a Thousand Eyes by Bobby B. And, uh, and the announcer came on for us and said, and here's a song for Gavin and May Street. The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Well, I jumped on every bed in the house. I was so excited. And I think that's, that's what gave me my early love for radio. Okay, just digressing slightly for a moment, Gavin. If we did happen to include Roma on our road trip itinerary through Outback Queensland, what are we likely to see? A lot of dust these days, unfortunately. Uh, I, I was uh, on the board of the Variety Club here in Melbourne, and I rerouted or rerouted the uh, Variety Bash uh, to go up through Roma. So there was 120 Variety Bash cars screaming into this poor little town with 5,000 people. And, uh, and then we went up through Wallam Villa uh, and Yule Bar and, uh, and continued on our way. But uh, that was... Uh, that was a big thrill for me to get the variety uh, variety bash up through Roma. Roma is a it, it's a beautiful town. I was an altar boy at St Paul's Church, uh, a server uh, in, in the choir, the whole lot, and um, I just I just adored my my growing up in Roma. 
So what did eventually draw you to the Queensland capital, and how did that then lead to a job at 4MB in Miraburra? Gee, you've done your research uh, rather well, Paul. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, well, we moved. My dad, my dad got a job in Brisbane with the PMG, and Dad always insisted that I should get a job as a clerk, just like him. He said, get a job in the government as a clerk, son. You'll always have a job. So I, I went to Kedron. I, I, firstly, I went to Redcliffe High School, which was the, considered the roughest high school in Queensland at that stage. And I was, I was 14, and a girl behind me in class looked like Sandra Dee with the blonde hair, heavily made up, 14. And she said, would you like to come over to the showgrounds at lunchtime? And I said, why? She said, well, if you don't know why, you're not coming over. I went, oh, okay. So that was my first missed opportunity. But then I went to Kedron High School. Uh, and then uh, following my father's orders, I became a clerk in five different companies for five years. And I hated it. So I was a lead singer in a, in a garage band and we started to get a little successful. So I thought, gee, um, what am I going to do? As I was driving home from my last parks job at the Brisbane City Council, I heard an ad on the radio for, for a radio school at 4BH, Ben Beckinsale's radio school at 4BH in Brisbane. I thought, gee, that would help me, uh, you know, talking to the audience between the songs. It would give me those communication skills that I needed. So I did the radio course and I loved it, just adored it. And uh, Ben Beckinsale said, look, you'll be one of the guys that will get a job in radio. I said, oh, gee, I hope so. And then Frank Warwick, who was managing 4MB in Meribur at the time, back in 1973, um, rang my mother. And uh, mum rang me. I was at East Peabody Matsui in, in, in um, Brisbane as a clerk. And she said, oh, you've got to ring Frank Warwick at 4MB. Well, I nearly jumped out of the seat. If there was any beds, I probably would have jumped on the beds. And uh, he said, well, look, when can you come up? I said, look, I'll fly up this afternoon. He said, no, fly up tomorrow. So I hopped on the Fokker Friendship, flew up there, and uh, got the job. It was sensational. Okay, let's just rewind there for a second. Uh, Gavin, do you remember some of the highlights from the set list of a group called The World and some of their more memorable gigs they may have played? <laughs> ah, man. You're going right back. You're going to embarrass me here. Well, I had, I had the first band was called The Impulse and then the second band was The World. And, uh, we, you know, we, did, uh, we were getting into Three Dog Night and all those great songs and you know, the staples like Tin Soldier, Proud Mary, and all those great songs. But uh, the, the, the reason why I'm so friendly and, and a good mate of Rusty Wiley, Rusty Wiley, he's a Brisbane boy, went to Melbourne, posted up tight. It was the king of the kids, right? And he just released uh, The Star, which was number one in Brisbane, right? So we had this big concert on Coronation Drive on the back of a semi-trailer. And we were the backing band for all these stars. So Ross D uh, came down to rehearsal and he was late for rehearsal and, and said, oh, look, the star is easy. Bum, 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 bum. And we're a very young band that have never backed any singers before. So here we are, there's 20, 30,000 people on Coronation Drive. Ross D Wiley comes on and I'm the singer, I'm standing side stage. And he said, all right, guys, let's do the big one. And he goes, and the guys couldn't get the rhythm. They just couldn't get the timing. And uh, he said, well, let's try it again, boys. And they just, dun, 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 they just couldn't get it. It was so embarrassing. Well, I'm dying side stage. And then Rusty Wiley turns it in and says, oh, well, we can't do that one. Let's do Running Bear. So 
He did Running Bear, and the audience forgot about the number one song in Brisbane. That's why I love Ross D. Wiley. He is just the greatest showman of all time. With a smut band like like he had, he, he turned it into gold. So, yes, uh, the world was a little embarrassing and didn't last too long. Okay, let's shelve the muso career and uh, get back to radio with the first big break coming with your first Metro appointment at 4BC, followed by the move down south to 3XY. So what did you know about XY before you arrived, and how did expectation match up with reality? Well, you know, it it was a tough one. It was considered, you know, the number one gig in town. I I knew I was... I loved my time at 4BC. We went through the fantastic 4BC stage, and uh, I, I just... Absolutely adored for BC. It was one of the best times in radio. I did two years midnight to dawn, and uh, and the breakfast announcer was Mike Ahern. So I'd set Mike up for the morning and the whole thing. But in those two years of midnight to dawn, I talked in every song that I played, right up to the vocal, knowing that one day I'll need a 15 second uh, intro over a 12 second intro of a song, and I could fit it in. So that was my, that was basically my my training in radio those two years at the Dark Dawn, but yeah, Graham Smith was the program director at 4BC in Brisbane, and then he went down to 3XY, and he got there, and the, and 3XY was a screaming number one radio station, but it wasn't in breakfast, um, it was number one everywhere else, and um, uh, I'm I'm just trying to think, David Jones uh, was the breakfast guy with Bookers in 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 mornings, and they, and they. They were going great. It was a great show, but they couldn't get to the number one spot. So uh, Graham Smith called me and said, mate, uh, I'd love you to come down and do breakfast at 3XY. He said, but don't tell anybody. You know, just sit in midnight to dawn for a couple of weeks, learn the panel, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and when the timing is right, I'll swatch you into breakfast. So he also gave me Dennis O'Kane, Bernadette Skews, Rob Jell doing weather, and also Ron Barassi. So we had... You know, the formulation back in, in 1980, early 80, was like the first morning crew, if you understand. And we worked as a team, and we all knew what we were doing. We were, we were trying to get it from number three to number one. And lo and behold, the next survey went to number one and, and stayed there for two years. And it was the most exciting, most electric time in my radio career. It just, my head just exploded every time I went to work. It was that exciting. Now, you've been quoted many times, and you referenced it there, that uh, saying that the days at 3XY were the best you had on radio. What made that station that special at that time? I think I was right in the zone for it. The music that I was playing, I loved every song that I played. Um, I, I enjoyed breakfast. It was a responsibility and uh, a new responsibility for me. I mean, for the first, you know, don't get me wrong, for the first three months of my breakfast career, I was in Graham Smith's office after every shift going through a tape, you know, to get me, to get me focused and, and get, me, get me on point. So it was, uh, it was you know, it was, I, worked, I worked real hard, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I listened to all the jocks, all the breakfast jocks, and I worked out my strategy. You know, a lot of them were shooting with cannons. I just came in and shot with a rifle. And, uh, and it worked. Um, but, yeah, it, it was hard work, but it was, it was also... Look, the whole radio station, it was full of superstars. You know, you've got Greg Evans, Lee Simon, Hans and Barry, uh, and, and then you've got superstars off radio as well, people in sales, 
you know, we all used to go to the Golden Age pub in King Street on a Friday night and get totally hands loose uh, because we were, we were a, a, Graham Smith got a team together and it was a great team and I loved it. I loved working in a team. Now, of course, around this time, you also landed the voiceover job at Countdown, the most influential music program ever on Australian television. Now, we talk a lot these days about brands. How important was the Countdown gig in terms of brand Gavin Wood? The most important. I, I didn't even know it was happening. The, the real story was Paul Turner was doing the voiceovers on Countdown. And he was at 3XY doing, doing late nights and nights and all of that. Great guy. I love Paul. And one morning he came into my studio and said, uh, oh, Knackers, uh, when you finish, uh, can you drive me down to Ribbon Lee? And I still had the Volvo with the Queensland number plates on. And I said, yeah, sure. And my, my wife and, and babies were still, in, were still up in Brisbane. I was commuting for a while. So I had nothing to do. So yeah, mate. So I finished the shift with the car. Paul, let's go. So I drove him down to Ribbon Lee. And well, I was prepared to sit in the car and wait for him to go in there and do his business. I didn't know anybody in there. And he said, no, come in with me. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, come on. I said, oh, okay. I thought, well, this is a good experience. I've only been here five minutes and I'm walking into the ABC. So I've walked in, we've walked into the audio uh, uh, studios as you walk into the old Ripon Lee studios, you go straight, straight reception, right of reception, straight down that corridor and all the audio studios are off to the right. So I walked in, we both walked, he's walked into a studio and said, come in with me. And he said, sit down on that chair in front of a microphone. I said, what are you doing? He said, sit down, there's a top 10 there. And when I give you the cue, read the top 10, sound like me. I said, what? He said, just do it, trust me. I went, okay. So I said, I'm number 10 on the countdown, da 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 and I finished. Next thing, Robbie Weeks who was the EP of the show, came in and said, Gavin, you're the new voice of Countdown. You start on $60 a week. Paul is going up to Sydney. He's leaving XY and he's going up to join Channel 7 to uh, produce the Nostradamus special. Remember that big Nostradamus mm. special that Paul Grain did? Well, Paul Turner worked on that and, and left Melbourne to, to move to Sydney. So that's why they needed another voiceover. Well, it just blew me away. And... Uh, I was driving back with Paul and I said, oh, Paul, talk about the right place at the right time. I said, thank you so much, mate. And he looked at me. He said, mate, you deserve it. I said, oh, no, I don't. I said, I don't really. I said, I'm humbled. I said, this is unbelievable. Yeah, brand Gavin Wood, Countdown is still repaying me today. It's, it's, it's one of those amazing things that, well, I had every disc jockey in Australia on the back. If I messed up one word, they go, oh, I could do a better job than him. You know, so, so I had my own pressure. But man, it was the best gig, best gig to get. Uh, you know, I, it still blows me away that I got it. Now, just jumping back to XY Breakfast, how aware were you of the emergence of the FM stations in the early 80s while you were still on the AM band? Oh, very much, very much aware. If you're playing music, you know, and, and you're playing, you're playing you know, vinyl discs and putting them on your stereogram, you know, you're playing it in stereo. You're hearing the best sound. And FM was the best sound. And uh, the thing that clinched me, well, Graham Smith 
uh, moved from XY uh, to Fox FM. He became the new general manager out there. And, and when he left, he said, uh, would you be interested in coming out? I said, hell yeah. He said, well, think about it for a few weeks and da-da-da-da-da. So we had a jocks meeting at 3XY downstairs in the new King Street Studios, downstairs in the boardroom. And the general manager at the time uh, was not very well uh, respected uh, and, and said, I know nothing about radio, but we're going to make the following changes. And with that, I put my hand up and said, I'm out of here, boys. <laughs> I walked straight up and handed my resignation in. It was a Monday morning. I said, I'll stay, I'll stay till Friday. You can, you can let me go now. I'll stay till Friday. And he said, oh, no, stay till Friday. So I stayed till Friday. And then Friday morning, he called me in and he said, well, have you reconsidered? <laughs> I looked at him and I went, I was going to say, you dick. But I said, hell no. And, and I walked out. And in that, in that period on the Monday afternoon, I rang Graham and I said, mate, uh, I'm ready to go. I've just handed him a resignation. He said, right, have a week off and, and start. So I followed Graham Smith over. And man, uh, Fox FM with Barry Bissell and Graham Smith at the home. We changed the music. And we've changed a few things. It sounded a different radio station. We started gain traction and get an audience. We we're playing some really cool stuff. And it was mighty, but it was different to 3XY. Then, of course, we move on to Eon FM. And uh, in an earlier podcast, Lee Simons identified Molly Meldrum as that naughty schoolboy who had to be called into the principal's office most often. Now, you work with Molly on Countdown, and then you sat opposite him on Breakfast Radio. Tell us a little bit about Molly as an early morning breakfast announcer. I think it was a late. I think it was a late night breakfast announcer because the Chevron went to seven a.m. closing, which is the worst thing for Molly ever, because uh, he would leave the Chevron at about quarter to seven in the morning, and come straight to Eon. Uh, so there was a lot of mornings where you know we had to get the coffee out and, and straighten him out uh, until that fateful morning, but. Uh, to work with Molly, I, I mean, Molly, I, we're both Aquarians, so we're both mad, but we get on and we know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, and the working relationship I have with, I have and, and still have with Molly is incredible. Uh, we have amazing respect for each other. You know, and a boy from Brisbane, I, for the first year on Countdown, I was too scared to talk to him. You know, he's this guru, you know, and then we, then we got closer and closer and closer a bit. And then on radio, we did some amazing things at Eon FM. When I was at Fox FM, uh, I was number one FM, and then I went to Eon, and then I, I got back the number one FM slot at Eon with Molly. But Molly would come in, you know, and bring all these disco things, like Prince. Prince was big in the disco, but Prince wasn't big on radio. So we're, we're always having fights with Lee, and Molly in particular having fights with Lee. And then when Molly came in one morning and, and we were finishing and he said, no, he said, uh, we're not leaving the studio. We are not leaving the studio. Lock the door. I said, what? Why? He said, Tina Turner's up at the Hilton doing a cabaret show and the private dancer album is just gone to number one all around the world. And she was a screaming concert artist, you know, and she was, had to fulfill this commitment at the Hilton. He said, we're not leaving until I hear from Roger Davies and we hear that Tina Turner's going to do a tour. So that was a 24-hour radiothon, uh, and uh, and so you know, we we just did some amazing things. 
Speaking of on-air partners, uh, you and Jeff Cox uh, were pioneers when you first launched Breakfast on 3TT, then saw it through to the transformation to Double TFM. Now, in the process, we lost an iconic call sign in 3DB. How hard was it to convert the old audience, or was it a whole new ball game? Well, yeah, Cox and I were there today, uh, day one for 3TT, um, and I, I didn't hear any feedback about people calling and you know, getting abusive about 3DB. I, I firmly believe that 3DB, you know, after all those years and those Holstein years and those great radio years, I think kind of, you know, the ratings were, you know, very low. It, it had kind of run its course and needed a, a complete reboot. So I, I think it was time for 3DT for it to change. And it was a very successful change. And once again, we had another great team, you know, Mike Hammond, Carl Magrin, Brent James, um, and uh, Francine Mitchell in music, and um, David Dalton. You know, it, it was a great, it was a great team of music, a great team of people. And I, I, I call it the family. You know, the, the family still talks. You know, it's it, it, it's great that we're all still together, basically. When you did start at Three Double T, you were going from FM back to AM again. Was there a strong word that Three Double T would eventually turn into Double T FM? And was that part of the lure for you to uh, to work on an FM station from its inception up? Part of the lure, yeah. Uh, we, we knew that the, it was ARN uh, or the Albert family it was then, um, and and we knew that you know they've got to aim high. So you know if you're playing music on an AM station, you know back then you did really, it's just not going to work. And no, no AM station has worked since. Magic tried. They're trying it again with the new Magic. And the, and the music's incredible on the new Magic. But it's, it's not going to gain an audience. So, yeah, you, you, you've got to get, you've got to get um, an FM license if you're playing music. End of story. There was also, of course, a stint at 3AK where you were part of a very solid lineup that included Kevin Hillier and Kath Bedford, Darren Hinch, Greg Evans, Doug Ayton and Nick Pappas, all very seasoned broadcasters, but it just couldn't or wouldn't work. Well, the problem was management, ownership and management. It was just ridiculous what, what I heard coming out of the boardroom on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, there, there was some things there that, I'd never seen in radio before, and uh, some radio managers who were weren't up to the job, uh, and two investors. I, Darren said he he called them Teletubbies. Well, I called them the Teletubbies first. These two clowns out of uh, out of Perth, who who just who were just investors. They just wanted to you know rape the station. There was no there was no radio commitment there. It was just a financial commitment and. I basically ran it into the ground. Dennis O'Kane called me and said, mate, can you do me a favour and come over and work for me? But, you know, I can only pay half your fee. So because I've worked with Dennis, you know, most of my life, I said, yes, mate, I'll, I'll support you. And that was the only reason why I went to 3AK, was to support Dennis O'Kane and his endeavours. Now, this one is a bit of a test of your and my memory. I can actually remember being at a 3AW outside broadcast with you and a good old Uncle Roy at a pizza place in Carlton at a time when AW were trying to sort out their breakfast combination. Now, that short stint was obviously a, an, another new experience for you. It was a wonderful experience. I, I Look, I loved AK. I, I was only there for the talkback because I was learning talkback. And I think I think talkback's an amazing thing. Uh, to, to not know what the next call is going to tell you, you've got to be really on your toes. 
And, you know, I, I, I had a great learning curve at AK. And then the, the breakfast uh, situation, you know, they were trying out lots of breakfast presenters. Uh, I'd just come out of uh, Double T, um, Double T FM. And, you know, I was looking around um, just casually and uh, they teamed me up with Bruce Mansfield. It wasn't a good fit. I wasn't happy. Um, it was, you know, it was Bruce's gig. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, anyone that comes along and drops in too many funny lines over Bruce, uh, you know, God love him and God rest his soul. What a great broadcaster, you know, what a great voice, an amazing man. And I just didn't want to get it, get, get any uh, animosity happening or anything like that. So after a week, I, you know, I said, thanks, guys, but no thanks. So, Gavin, when you look back, especially over the 10 or 12-year period from 1979 onwards, that, of course, includes top-rating radio shows across a number of stations, national television exposure through Countdown and Hey Hey It's Saturday, and let's not forget Tats Lotto. Is it fair to summarise, it is a combination of two words, talent and opportunity? Oh, yeah, right place, right time. I mean, I, I was one of the blessed, one of the chosen few, I'd say, one of the blessed people. I had the best gigs uh, right across my career, um, and you know, I'm I'm so very thankful for that. Today, it's given me the building blocks in order to be where I am today, and why I went to America and and, and all of that. Um, I I consider, you know, there, there's still a lot of uh, fuel left in the tank. You know, I'm I'm doing a little uh, a little thing with uh, with uh, Gary Shannon and uh, Jane Marwick over at. Uh, 6PR in Perth on a Sunday afternoon, every Sunday afternoon, and I'm having a great time. It's just fantastic. While speaking of opportunity, the bright lights and racy lifestyle of Hollywood were your home for a number of years recently. Must have been an amazing learning and life experience. I needed to do it, Paul. I I, I really did. Um, It was a learning... I, I, I think, for me, things got too easy, and I didn't value the dollar as much as I should have. And, of course, you know, back in the 80s, you made a dollar, you spent two, you know, and I was still doing, I was still doing that, you know, in the, in the 2000s. So uh, when I had the opportunity and I won the green card, uh, I knew my family was set up. And, and so, with, you know, with grandparents, you know, and a good structure around them. So I knew uh, that'd be okay. So I, um, so I thought, well, it's my turn. So I went over there, and uh, for the thir- I was there for 12 years. For the first 10 years, fantastic, exciting, uh, challenging, not worrying about where your next rent money is going to come, uh, and all of that. I, I arrived two th- uh, uh, November 2007 with three suitcases and a pocket full of dreams and a little bit of money behind me. But then the global financial meltdown happened, and I lost half my money overnight. So then I had to go and get a job. And I became a, a, uh, a presenter or, or, or a, uh, a, a, yeah, a presenter probably with the, with the county, LA County, teaching American poll workers how to run polling places. So for the, for the elections, uh, there I am standing up in front of 400 people with an audio visual display for two hours doing that three times a day in all different counties, all over LA County. And um, it was a great learning curve for me. The biggest one for me was at the Watts Library. I was there and there was uh, 
200 African Americans in the in the audience, and I thought, well, this this is where this is why I did radio for so so many years. I got out and I said, I've got to win them over. You know, I was an Australian. You know, how dare you come out and tell us how to run a polling place? So uh, I stood there, and for the for the next 15 minutes, I smiled and I said, you know, you've got a beautiful country here. I come from Australia. I said, it's taken me 40 years to get here, and here I am. Well, they just loved me, and it was it was sensational. So all those skills I learned in radio helped me in America. And uh, I met up with an old mate of mine, uh, Adam Howard, who worked with me on Countdown. And as an 18-year-old, he did the he did the rollings. Countdown. He did those rollings, and uh, I hooked up with him on Facebook. And uh, he said, "Oh, mate, when you're in LA, come and see me." He said, "I've been here two years." He said, "Oh, come over Monday night." <laughs> so I went over, and uh, it was like you know, there was that 20 years hadn't happened, and he he's done visual effects on 150 major blockbuster movies. I mean, he he's a gun in Hollywood. And I said to him one night in his backyard, I said, "You're in movies, aren't you, Adam?" He goes, "Yes." I said, "Well, why aren't we doing movies?" He said, "Well, good idea." So then I formed Countdown Motion Pictures. Hey, finally, Gavin, listen, what was it like filling in your Saturday nights by keeping sober, getting dressed up, watching a few balls spin around and introducing some of the most bored looking government officials in the nation for our 90 second Tatslotto draw? What a fantastic question. (laughs) And that's exactly how I felt. No, you know, I, I had a young family and on a Saturday night when you've got, you know, young boys, uh, you don't go out. Really, you know, you go during the day or whatever. So, and also, it's a good time to get out of the house once a week. Uh, plus, I get to meet every Saturday night Marianne Van Dorsler, who is a, a, a beautiful woman, uh, a close, a very close friend of mine. Marianne and Paul have been mates of mine for even many years before that. Um, but to uh, to do that, look, it was just like a radio gig, you know, and. You'd walk off the set and I'd say, oh, what were the numbers tonight, Gavin? I'd go, oh, I don't know. There was an eight there, I think, or 16, 32. But look, it was a gig. And I, I always say, if someone gives you the opportunity, you work it like you own the company, basically. And you do your best, the best of your ability. And that's, that's the thing that motivates me. I wake up positive every day. And that's why I, that's what got me through, the, you know, the, the tough times in America. To wake up positive, to make your bed, wake up positive every day. And radio taught me that. Because when that mic's on at six o'clock in the morning, you've got to be on. Pilots of the Airwaves with Gavin Wood today, and it's now time, Gavin, for a dozen or so quick-fire jock questions, with the first one being, where were you when you heard John Lennon died? Oh, we were doing Countdown, and Elton John was hosting. Elton John was out here, and we were up in Brisbane, and Elton John is is, uh, Julian's godfather, or Sean's godfather. I think Sean's godfather. Um, So Elton was very, very close John Lennon. We heard it the day before we were about to do the shoot. And Molly's come to me and he said, Oh mate, I think we've lost out. I said, What? I said, yeah, I think he's going to catch the first plane back. 
but to Elton's credit, he did the show. Remember that big foam cowboy hat that he wore? Um, that was the show. We recorded that up in Brisbane uh, because I think he was doing a show up there. And he went back. As soon as he did the show, he was on a flight straight to New York. What was the last concert ticket you paid for? Ooh. Oh, yes, the Eagles. The Eagles at the Hollywood Bowl. And, you know, I thought, wow, this is going to be so good sitting at the Hollywood Bowl, watching the Eagles. How California is that? And I'm sitting there, and Americans are mad. They're up there whooping and hollering. You can smell marijuana everywhere, and they're all, hey, hey, John, how you doing? And I think I'm st- I want to turn around and say, shut up. The Eagles are on stage. Listen to the music. And, uh, yeah, that, that was the disappointment. But, uh, yeah, that was the last concert ticket I paid for, for the Eagles. Is there a concert act that you regret never seeing? Uh, well, I saw Michael Jackson and I saw Kiss. I've seen some Queen. I've seen um, – I don't think there's anyone that I've missed, basically. I've been very, very lucky, very fortunate. Was there a particular word that you had the most trouble pronouncing on air? Um, I don't think there is one. I, you know, and I don't need, need to sound pompous or anything like that. Uh, no, I don't think there's one. Uh, yeah, probably one of the ones with many syllables I'd have trouble with, but that, that, they don't usually come up in normal conversation. Now, Gavin, was there ever an incident on air that had you thinking that you might get those Don't Come Monday orders? <laughs> many a Dion. <laughs> but one, one I, I, I relate to, I was at 4BC and I was doing I was doing afternoons at 4BC and I you know 4BC were playing uh, 45s on the felt pad and the whole thing slip starting the wreck which I loved which kept you which kept you uh, you know you felt like a disc jockey when you're slip starting a record and so I I had one record playing and then I queued up the other one ready to go and while the record was playing Harvey Deegan the news guy came on the on the uh, intercom and said oh Gavin uh, there's a there's there's a uh, a new splash. Uh, can you can you stop the record? We've got to, we've got to go with it right now. Oh, okay. So I've, I've I've just hit the four BC, and now let's go to the newsroom for a new splash. Here's Harvey Deegan, Pope John the Second, or whatever number it was, has died in Rome. There's black smoke coming out of the chimney. Da 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 da. More news at three. So I've hit the jingle and then gone straight into the next record, right? So I proceeded on and played another record and played another record. And about three records later, the program director came into the office, into the studio and said, uh, Gavin, do you remember the song you played after that, uh, after that news flash? I said, no. He said, can you just check for me? So I've gone back through the box where we put the singles that we played. And I've looked and I've gone, oh, no. Say I didn't. He said, yes, you did. It was splash in the pan down among the dead men. And he said, "Uh, Gavin, uh, the Catholics aren't happy. I said, I can imagine. I said, I didn't even know I played it. And that was, I I thought after that shift, I I would have been marched up to the office. But uh, to their credit, they, uh, they let me, they gave me a free pass. Well, Gavin, it could have been worse. It could have been highway to hell, I suppose. Listen, let's have a look at uh, Aussie music. Any preference between Skyhooks or Sherbet? Oh, I love Skyhooks. 
for their innovation. We're actually making Australian music grow up because all of a sudden they started singing about Baldwin calling and uh, local local things. You know, like we've grown up with uh, Mississippi and Detroit and all these things and songs. And all of a sudden there was there was you know this wild band Skyhooks singing about suburbs in Melbourne and stuff like that. Um, love Sheryl, love love the hooks, um, and I had a I had an amazing appreciation for the voice of Daryl Braithwaite, uh, who remains still a, a good friend to this day. The Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Oh, the Beatles, the Beatles. I I know you know blues was okay, and I knew it was American blues that the Rolling Stones were doing, but the Beatles were far more melodic, uh, far more inventive. Uh, their, their song songwriting was I mean they're the Mozarts of our time and and I just consumed every album which brings up a point I had a, I always had a fight with music directors at radio stations where they would play only one or two of the top Beatles hits on the album I would say look every song on every Beatles album is a hit we wore out three copies of every album and and you've got to play all the other tracks on the album they will have a bigger recall now than than just playing i want to hold your hand or help so that was my big beef all the way through my uh, radio career do you still hold on to a treasured piece of memorabilia from those breakfast radio days uh I, look i'm not i'm not a materialistic guy i don't i don't hold on to anything but i do have a poster that was on the back of cabs when Foxy and I were doing breakfast at Double T, and the slogan was "Too Ugly for TV." Gavin and Foxy, three Double T, which I thought was masterful. It was great. So that's probably the only one that I really get excited about. What was the biggest news story that broke while you were on air? Elvis Presley died. I was uh, I was at Four BC in Brisbane and. Uh, the news guy once again came in and said, and this is back in the telex day, so, you know, he said, mate, I've just got a telex through, uh, Elvis Presley has died. And I said, oh, mate, we can't announce it yet. I said, can you ring Memphis? And uh, he said, yeah, I'll do that. So he rang Memphis and came back and said, yeah, he's dead. Uh, so that was memorable. So, you know, back into the, running down to the library, getting out all the songs and all of that and doing an hour of Elvis, um, very exciting, but very sad at the same time. You know, the man, the man wasn't managed well, um, and his private life was a mess. You know, he he you just kind of wonder what kind of songs he could have done later in life with a voice like that. Gavin, is there someone that walked into your studio and suddenly you were bang starstruck? Ah, once again, it's what we see, um, and it's Joan Collins. Joan Collins was in town. Stunningly beautiful, even to this day, you know, her age. And uh, she was running late for the interview. She was supposed to be here at four in the studio, and it was live in the studio. And I was promoting the heck out of it. Joan Collins here, four o'clock. We'll be talking about her new book. I can't wait to meet this amazing woman. And da 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 da. Well, she's rocked in at five. She obviously had a very good lunch. And she, she's rocked in and sat down. And she sat down at, like, we're talking uh, probably 78, somewhere around there, 1978. And she, stunningly beautiful, 
it just, just like a genie, you know. And she sat there and stroked her earlobe as she spoke to me and looked deep into my eyes. And I was going, whoa, 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 and she just undressed me with her eyes and blew me. And it was the worst interview. I, 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 she went, I was in a lather of sweat, and she did me. <laughs> did me good. <laughs> Best words of advice from a program manager. Shut up. <laughs> well, I, I, I still feel for Lee Simon because we put poor old Lee through hell at Eon FM, particularly with Molly. And then I started writing Batman and Robin, which was a you know a spoof on, on Batman and Robin, and, and Batman was Molly, and I was I was I was Robin, who was terribly terribly effeminate. And uh, oh, Batsy, Batsy, what's that's a big car, you know, and all of that. And they started off, you know, two minute little segments, and then by the time Molly introduced Damien Featherbottom, the hairdresser for the stars. And, uh, and all the different characters that the two of us voiced all the way through the thing. Uh, you know, it went to about five minutes, you know, peak time and breakfast. And I do believe that Lee Simon at that stage punched a hole through the wall by the phone uh, and uh, because we wouldn't pick up because we knew it was Lee and we weren't going to answer the phone. <laughs> Yeah, I think Lee also remembers it that way as well. Listen, Gavin, three albums that you'd consider to be the soundtrack of your teenage years. Oh, the uh, Sgt. Pepper's Beatles White Album and probably uh, Eagles Greatest Hit. Finally, in terms of Gavin the Podcaster and your Great Countdown podcast, who have we got coming up in the future? Well, coming up next, we're, uh, we're, starting, we're starting it up again in January. So uh, I've got Marsha Hines and Ross Wilson in the can. And uh, we're, we're shooting for uh, all those stars that were on Countdown. I, it's, it's a labor of love for me because, uh, you know, like I spoke to Kate Sobrano and, and fairly, it was like we hadn't gone away, you know. I said, well, this is just wonderful uh, to be talking to you again. You know, it's, it's rekindling old friendships. And, and it was the time like when James Rain got his start and Ross Wilson got their start, got his start. They all got their start on Countdown, and they remember it fondly. So it's a it's a very easy podcast to do. Fantastic. Hey, Gavin, thanks for sharing the memories today in what has been a most successful, entertaining media career that was so much a part of all our lives, and best of luck with all those projects that are coming up. Thank you, man. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Gavin Wood on Pilots of the Airwaves. <laughs>